what does the patient need? And I think that's the most important thing through all these kind of things, because now that they get told that they have cancer and the very drug that is saving their life now doesn't allow them to hold a coffee cup or different things. And so ensuring that the patient's wants and needs are central to what we're doing um, is going to be important as we move forward. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, your host, and my guest is Dr. Alexa Simon-Mira, a rheumatologist who specializes in vasculitis, systemic lupus, and rheumatoid arthritis, which are all autoimmune diseases. So what does this have to do with cancer, you may be asking yourself? Well, Alexa is at the forefront. She's a pioneer of something new and very promising, immune oncologic therapies for treating melanomas and lung cancer. In my research, I found that this treatment was described as an emerging topic with limited data. So this is all new. So this is exciting. And I have a theory about the connection. And I think it starts with Alexa's specialty, autoimmune diseases. That's the connection, the immune system, the all-important immune system for treating melanomas and lung cancer. There's got to be some connection between autoimmune diseases and cancer in this new treatment, which fortunately we have an actual real expert uh, to explain it to us. So it's going to be interesting to learn all about what's going on now and the future of this new line of treatment for cancer patients. Welcome to the podcast, Alexa. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, I'm really excited to be here because I think your statement about what I do is slightly correct and not trying to be at all offensive, but I think it's really confusing in the world of immunology. And so I'm going to hear, I'm here to kind of help correct those kind of things and to be clear about what my role is for oncologists and how I can actually help oncologists and patients moving forward in their cancer journey and why that I'm important. Oh, good. At least I'm slightly correct and got us at least <laughs> on the, a little bit of the right track. And I already, I can see that the key to what you do is collaboration, that your area of expertise is something that maybe the oncology cancer docs may not have expertise in. And when you combine your two areas of skill and knowledge, it's like- It's just synergy, right? Yeah. One plus one equals three, right? Yeah. So. So fundamentally, the new immunotherapy drugs that were kind of discovered in 2011 and now and then has been just taken off and becoming, you know, gold line, you know, standard of therapy with all cancers. Uh, there is a actual FDA approval for some of the new immunotherapies, particularly the PD-1 inhibitors that is agnostic of the cancer. So it's irrelevant of the tumor type that if they have a positive PD-1 signal that they can get this drug. So we are moving into a whole new world in cancer therapy that it may not be relevant whether your cancer's lung or skin or sarcoma. It may matter more of what's going on within the immune system of the actual cancer. And so this is a really upcoming and emerging field. And so fundamentally, these drugs, uh, PD-1 inhibitors, CTLA-4s, these checkpoint inhibitors, as we call them, disrupt the immune system. They allow the body to attack the cancer themselves. So the body is fighting the cancer off all by itself. And it does it really amazingly. However, when you disrupt an immune system, just like uh, when you get uh, a cold and you don't feel well, sometimes when you disrupt the immune system, that you open the door to autoimmune disease. And so about 30 to 40% of these patients that receive immunotherapy develop an autoimmune disease at any point. It's most common within the first three to six months, but patients can have given the drug, been off the drug for a year, 
and then develop stilled autoimmune disease. And so now that's where I come into play. This is why this is important because the oncologists do an amazing job in treating the cancer. However, now patients have a rheumatoid arthritis-like syndrome, a vasculitis-like syndrome, some other disease that requires other therapies, steroids, the commercials people see, Humira, these different drugs that may be above and beyond just typical primary care drugs or oncologic drugs. And so this is where I come to play because the most important thing is whatever I'm doing is ensuring that the immunotherapy and the anti-tumor effect and the success of the oncologist continues. Let me just go back a second because you said something <laughs> that we've talked a lot about on this podcast yeah. before, this PD-1. A, yeah. a is it a protein that the cancer cells have that hides them from the immune system and that melanomas and lung cancers seem to have that a lot and that immunotherapy seems especially effective against these types of cancer so i again i, I think i might be slightly right but you'll you'll give me the whole uh, of course truth. <laughs> so basically so PD-1 inhibitors or program death one is basically a protein um, that gets that is regulated by the immune system. And so when you get sick, like any virus, any well, we're gonna ignore COVID because that's just ridiculous right now, but any virus, the flu, whatever, you get sick, you're around your grandkids, you get sick, you feel bad for a couple of days, right? And then you feel better. And during that time of feeling better, your immune system has revved up. It got rid of the foreign, whatever body it wants to. And then it tells the body, it goes, hey, we don't need to be sick anymore. And then this regulation, these proteins regulate it and you go back to normal. Now, this is what the cancer treatments do. That regulation, those checkpoints, they turn off those so the body can attack the foreign body, particularly the cancer by itself. So that's how this works, which is great. However, when you dysregulate the immune system, we have a whole world of autoimmune diseases and it opens the door for the body to have a revved up immune system and to kind of go haywire. And then that's why you have autoimmune diseases. And so about 30 to 40 of these patients get autoimmune diseases. And even the, you know, the sticker with this, the unique thing is patients that have an immune related adverse event actually do better from their prognosis because it suggests their immune system is so revved up to fight the cancer. So it's a double-edged sword. Oh, uh, so they both. Yeah, so their immune systems in hyperdrive, killing cancer cells, Correct. which and the immune system is so active, it's creating these these unknown new things going on diseases. in the body, yep. autoimmune diseases. But you, that's where you come in. Correct. Your expertise is treating the autoimmune diseases, and Correct. hopefully, you and others have developed such great techniques that that's not going to become <laughs> a a factor to inhibit the patient's recovery and ability to fight the cancer. Well, that that's where the entire research is right now. So actually there's not a lot of evidence and guidelines doing that. So just in all full honesty, it's a lot of trial and error right now. And, and that's the point. So, right. So if you can't hold a coffee cup because your inflammatory arthritis is so bad, but you're now living five, 10 years, right. Post melanoma, lung cancer, how do you, how do you marry the risk benefit? And these are kind of the area of research that, that I'm doing is, how do we ensure that we can start a drug to keep the patient's quality of life now that they're living with this new, brand new disease that we've discovered in the last 10 years, understand this disease, and then move it forward to ensure that the anti-tumor effect sticks. And so this is the whole hot area of research, and it's very collaborative. 
because I need the oncologists to help me as much as they need me to help them to move forward for their patients. And we're shifting cancer a little bit in this paradigm shift to more chronic disease management. It's kind of like HIV back in the eighties. Now that we have drugs, right? You know, everyone died in the beginning and now all of a sudden they're not dying. So you have to shift this paradigm of if cancer is not going to kill you right away, we have to shift this to chronic disease management, which is just a slightly different way of thinking about it. Okay, I think I understand now. So the the immunotherapy in 30 to 40% of the patients can create some sort of ongoing autoimmune disease that can have a level of disability or problems for the person that could range from one to 10. And you're working with current drugs to, to stabilize this and developing new ones to improve your ability to reduce the symptoms. My understanding of benefit, risk, and how to mitigate harm for patients over long-term periods of time, you know, that's that's what I do for a living. So now we're just going to have to marry that with the oncology team and how we best do this together. Wow. So this is a new subspecialty for rheumatologists that's growing all around the country and being led, I'm pretty certain, by comprehensive cancer centers like the James and the Comprehensive Cancer Center that have the ability to do this collaboration? I think I'm the only rheumatologist employed by oncology in the country that I know of. I have a lot of colleagues in room that are collaborative and dual appointments, but I think I'm the only one, but please, anyone that's out there, please correct me. I don't, I'm not trying to make a statement. You know, my colleagues at MD Anderson, HSS, you know, that are part of Sloan, most of it is a collaborative work. And we've been working together in trying to define this from the rheumatology point of view. Um, My colleague in France, Dr. Marie Costine and I have a grant from the American College of Rheumatology to start to define, it's called a classification grant. So define the inflammatory arthritis because once we define this disease, then we can start to define the outcomes to do clinical trials. Um, And it is different than RA, right? We've literally, immunotherapy has created new autoimmune disease, like brand new diseases that we are now trying to define in a different light so we can move forward uh, better, right? Together with ONC and ensure the anti-tumor effect. And we're we're keeping all these points uh, and the patient's perspective, right? What does the patient need? I think that's the most important thing through all these kind of things. Because now that they get told that they have cancer, And the very drug that is saving their life now doesn't allow them to hold a coffee cup or different things. And so ensuring that the patient's wants and needs are central to what we're doing um, is going to be important as we move forward. Wow, that's so interesting because the first priority is stopping the spread of cancer because that's the immediate threat. And you've got to balance that out with the long-term side effects. And that's this emerging field of study and research that when I called you a pioneer, I didn't realize that you were like, I thought it was like 10 or 20 (laughs) pioneers. There's like two or three pioneers, you and your colleague in France. So I'm guessing you're being asked to talk and lecture and teach, uh, a lot of Zoom meetings with colleagues around the world. Yeah, and there's more of us, right? I think all of us rheumatologists, if you pick every academic center in the country, there's going to be one rheumatologist that this is their area that they kind of do. And so we've been working together um, and trying to create consortiums and data collection together. So, you know, I'm not alone by any means here. Uh, And it's it's a really collaborative uh, and an exciting field because it's, it's so new. And and the world of autoimmune disease, you know, in the 
you know, we were using injectable gold for RA not so long ago, right? And so the world of, of biologics and how we treat rheumatoid arthritis is so different than when it was 30 and 40 years ago. And so we have a really unique opportunity to think about this disease very different because of all the drugs that exist. And then how we think about it, how we define it and how we classify it in this collaborative world. And I think it's a unique opportunity too in the way that academic medicine and industry is to break down those silos and to be more collaborative and to do this better together. Yeah. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to really dive into that about those specific medications and like what happens in the body and then how you jump in to say to counteract that and, and get some real examples of that because it, it just sounds fascinating. Sure. In today's world, misinformation abounds. But at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Dr. Alexa Simon-Mira, a rheumatologist who was working with oncology doctors at the James to treat uh, melanomas and lung cancers. And as Alexa described in the first half of the podcast, many of the patients who get immunotherapy for their melanomas and lung cancers can develop autoimmune diseases. This is her area of specialty, and she works in collaborations with the James doctor. So now... Alexa, fill us in, kind of walk us through what happens with patients and the drugs they will get first for their cancer, what happens to their body, and then how you intervene to, to help. So, you know, and I think this is also an evolving area of care and coordination as my immune toxicity clinic or immune-related clinic just opened last week. Uh, so basically, you know, parent, patients get diagnosed with cancer and any pathway that that happens. And the oncologists do various tests to decide what chemotherapy or immunotherapy is correct for them. And immunotherapy, when it started, uh, is an infusion about every three weeks. And it can be various drugs, combination of drugs. And basically, sometimes, not all patients, develop a side effect from the immunotherapy. Now, the majority of the side effects are autoimmune-based, but some are autoimmune-based and irreversible. So you can get uh, thyroid issues where you can get hypothyroid, where your thyroid just stops functioning, and that doesn't come back. You just go on you know, thyroid medicine to replace it. So there are some of these events that happen that may be autoimmune-triggered, but are irre irreversible, kind of like a one and done, like it is or it's not. And then there are other ones that can affect organs that mimic and are very similar to other autoimmune diseases, irrelevant of immunotherapy. So there's rheumatoid arthritis-like diseases, uh, muscle aches or myalgias or polymyalgia rheumatica-like diseases uh, that we are seeing. So patients may start having joint pain uh, and that is worse in the morning. They're having joint swelling. So they're difficulty walking or participating in any of their life events to hold a coffee cup, to paint a picture, to do whatever they do on a daily basis. Now, some of these 
kind of side effects uh, can just last while they're on the immunotherapy. So we have to treat them with steroids or, or corticosteroids or different things while on the immunotherapy to maintain to ensure they can stay on the immunotherapy at the same time. And sometimes when the immunotherapy stops or the cancer treatment stops, that these autoimmune diseases persist. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they begin, they had no issues during the immunotherapy. Their cancer is stable. It has not recurred. And then a year later they develop an autoimmune problem. And so we are still very much finding this out. Uh, melanoma uses immunotherapy a lot. So does lung cancer, but there are patients that have lymphoma, sarcomas, any cancer that can get immunotherapy. I think it's a proof, again, as I said, almost if you have a signature irrelevant of the cancer in the organ, you can have some of these immunotherapies. So it's kind of any patient that can receive an immunotherapy can do this. So the patient journey is different for all patients, uh, which makes it hard to make evidence-based algorithmic medicine because uh, you really have to figure out what's going on with the patient, what their background is, what their treatments are, what treatments they've had in the past and different things to move forward. Um, but that is what I do for a living. And that is the challenge and the, and the joy that I get from helping patients and their individual needs. And that's why we created this clinic so we could do this together better for the patient. So I can work directly with the oncologist to make sure patients are at the center of the care of what they need. And uh, I've seen patients have any possible symptom, any rash to dry eyes, dry mouth, to inflammation around the heart, to inflammation around any organ, to joint pain, to inflammation in the brain. I have seen any and all. And it is really just trying to, again, mitigate harm, trying to get the patient to be able to function the way they want to function, irrelevant of the cancer, ensure the anti-tumor effect that we're continuing to treat the cancer as well enable them to function. Now say the name of your clinic again. Uh, so I call, we've called it, I don't know what we've officially called it, um, but it's an immunotoxicity. So the idea is if you have immunotherapy and you have a side effect from immunotherapy, you can come see me. So any patient that basically has cancer and a side effect from cancer treatment. So I, you know, I think chemotherapy in general causes neuropathy, right? The old school yeah. chemotherapies the classic uh, aromatase inhibitors that you use for breast cancer or different things have a lot of joint pain associated with them. So I see patients kind of with any complication of a rheumatic issue that could happen from cancer therapy. The majority of it is related to immunotherapy, but it can be any or of the above patients. Got it. Now look ahead in your crystal ball. And as we evolve with better and better immunotherapies that hopefully, I think the, the goal is going to be to reduce these side effects, but also as you develop new drugs and treatments to reduce whatever side effects continue, what are you seeing? How much better can you and others help patients down the road? What's being done now in clinical trials that will be available in the future? So, you know, I, I think I think we get very stuck on the idea of biomarkers and risk mitigation. And in the rheumatology world, we've kind of, that is still a push, but we go more towards treatment, right? So if you have inflammatory arthritis secondary to any disease or anything that's going on, it, it doesn't matter. I have seven drugs that I can use and we kind of pick one and do a trial and error. So we have for like psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, we have various drugs that can do the same thing and trying to find Right. So if you have rheumatoid arthritis, I don't know whether a TNF blocker drug, an IL-6 blocker drug, 
uh, B cell drug is the right drug. It's trial and error. So we are not even there in, I'm going to say normal autoimmune disease in, in standard autoimmune disease about how to figure out what drug fits the right patient. And so now you're taking a patient with an abnormal immune system because they already have cancer. You're disrupting the immune system with a checkpoint inhibitor. They've developed an autoimmune disease. And I'm not sure that we're going to be able to find a biomarker based on levels of certain proteins to find the drug. So personally, as a rheumatologist, I think we just need to start clinical trials. We just need to start kind of finding the right answer, finding the right drugs. Is it giving two months of a drug and pausing the immunotherapy of kind of creating a clinical trial network and just kind of moving forward and trying some stuff and kind of see what happens and doing our best to mitigate as much harm, which is, it is not saying that I want at all patients to be guinea, guinea pigs or to try them on them. It is the fact that we are not sophisticated enough in modern medicine to be able to do this in a prediction model. Like we don't understand what different levels of proteins and inflammation mean, and we can base it on that to help, but we're not there yet to be able to truly do precision medicine yet like that. And so unfortunately, everything we do is kind of retroactive, and that is the best way to get some stuff done quickly. Um, so it is not ideal, and I hear that, and I, if I could, you know, whoever wants to win the next Nobel Prize, if they could fix that for us, I think that'd be great, but we're just not there yet. And so as modern medicine evolves, maybe we'll get there one day, but I think what we can do right now is really to start to think about, all right, we have melanoma patients, they have inflammatory arthritis, let's try this drug and let's move forward for a clinical trial. Do we start it at the same time as immunotherapy or just when we treat them and then let's follow them and see what happens and doing our best to always mitigate harm and ensure the anti-tumor effect. Now, how close are you to starting this series of clinical trials here at the James and with colleagues around the country and world? Because it's going to be multiple clinical trials, it sounds like. So is it kosher to say, who wants to fund me? Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe someone listening will. <laughs> so I think, so I'm part of a national consortium called Radios that's involved with Hopkins, MD Anderson, HSS, that we're collecting data and and Piero. So we are not there yet at the clinical trial. I think that's the next step of what I'm trying to build with my colleagues in France and um, Australia. I'm the co-chair to a group called OMERAC, which is Outcome Measures in Rheumatology Clinical Trials. And we are the co-chairs of the Immune-Related Adverse Events Group. And we are starting to define, again, these diseases. So once you define the diseases, you can then define the outcomes to have a clinical trial for an FDA, right? Approved drug. And so I think we are starting, the goal would be to do that sooner than later. Do I think I have a perfect answer to that? No, I think there is a lack of funding in this world because it's, uh, in general, it's more clinical, it's patient outcomes and it blends two silos, right? I'm not an oncologist. So oncology grants, right? And rheumatology, these are oncology patients. And so there's this political kind of world that I'm living in, in this collaborative world about where do you find funding for stuff like this, right? Because it's not just rheumatology and it's not just oncology. And I think it's changing. And I, and I think podcasts like this and how we, how we blend this, I think there are avenues to do this, but at the moment, I think that's been the challenge. So my last question for you is particularly, it came from what you just said that there sounds, sounds like there's a little frustration and that you can't move faster. So what motivates you to keep going and keep pushing forward and, and fighting back against whatever obstacles are in front of you? 
I think it's the, it's the patience, right? I'm yeah. good at what I do. And it's hard having a patient sit in your office and cry that the very drug that is saving their life is causing them to have no quality of life. And then when you, when you help that and you bring that back and to, and to see their joy, to be able to function, to hold their grandkid or do that is there's a lot we can do. Um, and it's not magic and it, it's not particularly special. And sometimes it is just listening because sometimes there's nothing I can do to fix anything. Um, and, and being there for them, it's, it's really the patient. And, you know, at the end of the day, I treat patients like I would want to be treated as a patient, right? When you're sick, it's hard and you're scared and you're confused. And right. I went to a lot of school to understand the nuance of all these drugs and to be able to pick a drug and to face the side effects and right. Like I can all, I have never, you know, in that sense had to go through chemotherapy or immunotherapy, but I can only imagine that you're told that you have some terrible disease that may kill you. And then these are the side effects or nothing, right? How do, how do you make an informed choice really when is it a choice? Right. So, and I think that's such a hard thing to do. And so then how we can help them through that journey, I think is, is vital. And if, we are now going to make cancer be a chronic disease, then we just need to join the chronic disease managers of the world to be able to ensure that as those patients are living longer, that all of these things are considered and the right evidence and the right support. All right. Thanks for doing this podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Whenever you want me to come back, happy to chat. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.